The I Promise School helps at-risk children succeed, and I promise you will enjoy the podcast all about the documentary that followed it. Welcome back to Warming the Bench. I'm your host, Dan Tran, and in this episode, we will be talking about LeBron James's I Promise School and the filmmakers who embedded themselves at the institution and told the story from the kid's point of view. But more on that later. Let's talk LeBron James first. We can go down the laundry list of things that he's accomplished as a basketball player. We're talking about 16-time All-Star, four-time MVP, three-time NBA championship. I mean, he's one of the greatest players to ever step on that court. But his greatness is not just limited to the basketball court. He's an outspoken civil rights person, spoke about Trayvon Martin, Eric Garner, and the Michael Brown verdict, gone toe-to-toe with President Trump via social media. He also has his own production company, and he has a minority stake in Liverpool, which is one of the biggest soccer clubs in all the world. I mean, he has done everything he can to be more than just an athlete. We even asked you, the audience, what is LeBron James better at, basketball or life? And over 53% of you thought he's still better at basketball. Uh, we actually just put up a live poll right now, and the question is, what will LeBron James be most remembered for, athletics or activism? We have a link for that debate in the description of this episode if you want to participate. But maybe this information may tip the scales in the other direction of that poll. James opened the I Promise School in 2018. It is a public school. I mean... <laughs> Think about all the red tape that you have to go through in order to even open up a school, but a public school, that is an impressive venture. Not, not a charter school, not a private school where there are less regulations, but a public school. That is incredible. So he took a public school, or it is a public school, that took the most at-risk kids in danger of dropping out of high school. We're talking the bottom 25th percentile. And let me tell you, whatever they are doing at that school, they need to spread it to the other districts because it is working. 90% of their students have hit their growth goals and expectations as of last year. We're talking from 2018 to 2019. And not only do they instruct, but they care for the human being that is the child. I mean, helping them through the trauma of the past, hugging them every day when they come to school to let them know that they are in a safe place and that they're cared for, even providing groceries to the family. I mean, I have never seen a school like this before, but it works. But not everything is sunshine and rainbows here. The I Promise docuseries debuted on Quibi on April 6th, and it is amazing. The concept and the mission of the school is great, but smooth execution is rarely what happens when kids are involved. I mean, these kids are wonderful, and you root for them immediately. But there's a lot of trauma that they have to process still. I mean, they're flipping tables, they're fighting, and they're running away. These kids go through a lot, and the cameras were right there capturing everything. Now, here to talk about the project are two of the men behind the camera documenting the entire first year. Please welcome award-winning filmmakers Mark and Dan Levin of Blowback Productions. So I did get a chance to watch those episodes, and let me tell you, they were excellent. Excellent television. I instantly fell in love with Nate. Nate's a great character. It seems like you guys really put your heart and souls into it, just like you did your other projects. What drew you to the I Promise School, and uh, why did you decide to do a project on it? Uh, well, I'll start, and then, Dan, you pick it up, all right? Sure. Um, I think that, you know, we've done an, 
a number of projects, you know, Brick City in Newark, uh, Chicagoland uh, in Chicago, and then the, the um, Class Divide uh, right in our own neighborhood in the middle of Manhattan. And we just became more and more convinced that education, you know, was kind of the key to so many of the social problems and uh, issues that we were coming up against in these projects and in our country. And also seeing how public education was being defunded, disrespected, trashed, uh, really coming apart. And the toll that took, the, you know, as many have described, the, the school-to-prison pipeline. In many ways, we've been chronicling that uh, for, you know, good 20 or 30 years. So the opportunity to both work with young kids and to kind of embed ourselves in a program and in a school that was attempting to give these kids a shot and hope and break this cycle of poverty and this school-to-prison pipeline, it was a a a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. And then top of all of that, you know, the fact that it was LeBron's famous foundation in in Akron, and uh, we do happen to be sports enthusiasts and uh, basketball fans, and although we never really rooted for LeBron because he was always playing against the Knicks, we learned another side of him, uh, which is incredible, his devotion to bringing something back to his hometown. So, yeah, all these elements of our work came to, and, and our interests and passions came together with the, this opportunity, and it was a no-brainer. Dan? Yeah, I mean, I think that sums it up. I think, you know... Oh, we have been in the middle of all these different shows that, that had elements based around public education. I've been in many different schools from high schools, mostly high schools, actually. And I think the opportunity to go younger than high school and see the foundation and see this school sort of implement this in, in a younger generation was, was very unique and to embed ourselves. And, you know, we really tried to make it as seen through the kids' point of view. So we wanted to tell it through their eyes uh, and through their experience. So I think that was a unique opportunity for us, and we jumped at it. And I think while that was a unique experiment, it was also a unique experiment to be doing this for a new platform in Quibi. So not only were we documenting something that was taking problems that have been looked at and and tried to fix in a lot of different ways and doing a new approach, but we were also making it and distributing it in a new storytelling platform. So it was a totally unique and new experience on, on a lot of different levels. Yeah, uh, talk about the the beginning of this. When when you went into this project, what expectations did you have? And by the end of the project, were those expectations met, or were they exceeded, or you know, did they change along the way? Look, when we started this, there was so much enthusiasm and hoopla at the opening in the end of July, two thousand and eighteen. So there was a lot of excitement and tremendous expectations and uh, tremendous visibility. But within a few weeks, there was chaos because these kids were chosen in the lottery. Uh, They were all public school students. It's a public school. They were, the way to qualify for the lottery was you had to be in the bottom 25 percentile. So these were the most at-risk kids in the system. And then there was a lottery. And a lot of the teachers were, you know, teachers of the year. and They were all stars in their own rank. But uh, maybe they had, you know, three or four kids that really were problems in 
a class of 30. Here you had a smaller class of 20. You had an assistant. But every kid came with issues. So after all the expectations and, and attention, we started seeing kids acting out and getting in fights and throwing chairs and desks over and, you know, hitting the teachers and, you know, running in the hallway. It, it was just we looked at each other. It was like, whoa, I don't know. It's going to take some time, maybe a few years for this to settle in. And we're cynical New Yorkers. Uh, so it was like, this is a great idea, but this is going to really take some time to find the right way of making this work. So our expectations, quite frankly, it was we were committed to telling the story from the kid's point of view. That that was, you know, from the very get go. Let the kids be the storytellers. Uh, so in that sense, we knew. And as you just said, Nate, I mean, Dan and Jackson met Nate on day one of the school in, in the bus coming to school. We met uh, Vincent uh, in the initial auditions when I asked him. You know, what do your parents do? And he looked at me and he said, whatever I want them to. Uh, and we knew he was a piece of work. And Deshauna, of course, when she climbed in the locker and, you know, we were just astounded. And Jackson captured that on tape. And then Scout, I actually met through her grandmother, who I'd met before the school even opened. And I was with on day one. So we knew that the kids and their story and their family and their struggles, it was built in drama. Hopefully it would be positive, but. If it wasn't, we knew it would deliver in the sense of being a moving human story. But as far as the school goes, that was the big question mark. Could the school really lift these kids, not just emotionally, so they could control themselves and all work together and collaborate and realize their potential, but also academically? Could they achieve? Could they make a, a year's progress, two years' progress? Because most of these kids came in reading like at kindergarten or first grade level. And I have to admit, we were dubious whether it could be done that quickly. And these things take time, finding the right way of doing it. So to answer your question, we wondered on the academic achievement level how far the kids were able to go. And as I said in the beginning, if you let the kids tell the story, you're guaranteed that, in a way, they will deliver. And they do deliver, I promise. Yes. I think to add to that specifically about the kids, I think on, on more of a, a smaller level, just we, what our expectations were of how much these kids would open up to us. We were coming, we we're from, you know, we're New Yorkers, we're coming into a new environment. They're obviously all coming into a new environment that's a new school for them. So there was a lot of new things for them to navigate and for us all to navigate. And I think it surprised us how quickly we sort of bonded with the kids. And, of course, using filmmaking, cameras, the act of making film as a bonding tool. Kids are super curious, and all of them wanted to know how the cameras work. They ended up doing sound for us. It was sort of like a free-form collaboration. But I think our expectations, once we started to see that these kids were open to working with us and befriending us and... And, and wanting to know more about our process and what we were doing, it really opened up the doors for us. And then I think we realized that we could get really in-depth with these kids and we could tell these stories. And obviously, how quick we saw them change. I mean, to see a kid transition, you know, an eight and nine-year-old transition over a year, they matured so quickly. So that was a surprise. But also just to see how the school, their we are family, their support system, they're surrounding these kids with 
with opportunities, with love, with encouragement, how much that changed them in such a quick time as well and how much it opened them up. Like we, we've spent about 10 minutes in this conversation. I will say like about eight minutes have been talked about the kids. We haven't even gotten to LeBron James yet, but it seems like the kids have really made an impact on both of you. And you said that you wanted to shoot this, this movie from the children's perspective. When you shot from their perspective, what did you see? Well, first of all, as Scout's grandmother said to me when I first met her before the school opened, these kids bring to school every day all the problems that this society, this wealthiest society in history has laid on them. Whether it's the neighborhood where like one of the kids we first met, two people had been shot in his front yard in a nine-month period. And so he couldn't even go outside and play. Or when Nate, as you saw, lost his father to street violence a few years ago. First thing you see is all the traumas and the challenges and that these kids got to deal with. And, and as Dan said, they're, they're seven, eight, nine years old. So how, how they make sense of all that uh, and how they have just heard over and over again that they're not going to amount to anything that, you know, they're the throwaway kids, they're the bad kids, and they they come to start believing it themselves. But, as Dan said, we obviously wanted to make the emotional human connection, but the whole school embraced this, what they call social-emotional learning, trauma-based learning, where they have these circles in the beginning of every day, the, the I Promise Circle, where they play a song and the kids talk about how it makes them feel and what's happening in their lives. And, and they learn to open up and share. And they also learn how to kind of be aware of their own emotions. And that's incredible to see that emotional growth. So what Dan was talking about, the creativity, I mean, I'm, I have to admit, you know, when I heard bottom 25%, I guess I kind of, lazily adapted some of the stereotypes. Okay, what are these kids going to really be like? And yet the reality is so many of them are so creative. That's almost part of maybe some of the issues they have. And they've also seen so much like Deshana was like a little adult at nine years old. It had basically been with her, her grandmother the last year of her life, taking care of her as a kid. So it's an eye opener to see and, in terms of the creative process and their creative ideas, free association, and letting them kind of see that that's part of the learning experience, that learning doesn't equal failure. Learning can be fun. Learning can be creating something together. So uh, to me, the, that was summed up in a moment when one of the kids, Noah, who you do see in the film for a short period of time, talks about, he, he said, fighting, fighting, fighting. All my life I've been fighting. Well, he had a lot of issues, but he kind of joined our crew and was helping us out one afternoon in the playground. And, you know, we decided we were going to go back in. And I asked Noah, no, could you just pick the tripod up and come with us? And he did. And he led us back in. And as we're going in, a teacher grabbed me and she said, what did you give him? And I looked at her like, what do you mean? And she said, I've never seen Noah listen to anything an adult asked him to do. This is the first time I've ever seen him listen to an adult. And we gave him nothing except that we gave him the opportunity to just work with us and treat him as we would treat 
one of our colleagues. So their point of view, first of all, it, it, was, it was also refreshing. It was educational. I mean, you know, I joked about what Vincent said, but a lot of the kids, when you ask them, what do you want to be? Some of them will say, well, I want to be a YouTuber. And, you know, in my ignorance, I would kind of laugh at them and go, okay, great, that's nice, but, you know, what are you going to do to make a living? And then they would look at me and they'd start laughing, like, what's wrong with you? And I went back to the hotel and I, I Googled YouTube stars under 12 and my mind was blown. I saw the four-year-old playing, you know, with his toys and it had gotten a billion hits instead was making a million dollars a month. So it was a two-way street, but... No, that that was our guide. We didn't want to make it a uh, objective report on uh, just using uh, kind of the metrics of the school. We wanted to make it intimate and personal, and from their point of view. So it was a it, it was a constant creative dialogue with them, which I think helped them open up to us. And in all honesty, it opened us up too. Couldn't agree with that more. Gotcha, Dan. With LeBron James opening up the school, you're shooting from the kids' perspective. I'm sure the kids had opinions about LeBron James. How do they perceive LeBron James? I mean, it seems in Akron, LeBron James is, it's funny, we actually, you know, the school year was starting when he was immediately, when he was traded to the Lakers. So it was an interesting time to be in Akron. Of course, LeBron had come back to Cleveland and he had won a championship for them. So everybody, I think, especially the kids, looked at LeBron as a a heroic figure, and in many ways he is. And he, in the series, comes back to the school multiple times, and the kids, they freeze up, they get shy, they get shocked in the presence of greatness. And in a lot of ways, I think that's how they looked at him. But I think they also looked at him as someone that was from where they're from and is doing positive things for for their community and, and for them and for their families. And I think we're very grateful for that. And I think that's explored in the series as well. But yeah, it was an interesting time to come to act to Akron, Cleveland, Ohio, the greater area when he was leaving. But I think there was there was a sense that he had come back and that he had won this championship and, and now he's doing amazing things for the community. He's a heroic figure. I would add to that 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 Akron it still got small town values and there were a lot of connections from the kids' lives to LeBron's life. In other words, like Nate's mother grew up right behind where LeBron and his mother, Gloria, lived when LeBron was maybe three or four years old. So Nate's mom and LeBron played together, like when they were three, four years old, in the backyard together. And Deshauna's father, uh, there was a, a basketball court in the back of their house that, you know, like when they, they were in elementary school or just kids, they would play basketball with and LeBron would play there. You know, so there were these connections to a lot of the kids. And then on the other side, the flip side, in the scene where uh, LeBron comes back and goes into one of the classes and, and sees one of the young girls, you know, who's a little emotional and picks her up and hugs her, uh, that was a young girl named Senna, uh, who, believe it or not, is a Syrian refugee. Uh, who actually lived, uh, fled the Syrian civil war, lived in a refugee camp in Jordan, and miraculously her and her family were able to somehow get refugee status and landed in Akron of all places. And then she got picked in the lottery to be in the LeBron James, I promise, school. Well, she and her family, none of them had ever heard of LeBron James. That was fascinating. 
Yeah, they never. They, you know, now of course they're they're well versed in uh, in the story of LeBron. But uh, so you had both sides. Yeah, and I think it surprised us as filmmakers how diverse and how much of an immigrant community Akron has. As as Mark said, there's a Syrian community. There's actually a huge Nepalese community. Um, so the school was was com- comprised of people from all over the globe, really, or, or their families had come and were first generation immigrants. Yeah, that's super. Yeah. That's super Absolutely. interesting. We talk about the community of Akron. LeBron James has always made it very known that he's from Akron. He represents it. And he's always used to being in front of the camera. But when he talks about I Promise, when he talks about Akron, when you interviewed him, did you notice any demeanor changes or like the way that he talks? Like, does anything change about him when he talks about the community, when he talks about the school? Well, that's a good question. I don't know so much with me. I mean, obviously, he's been asked so many of these questions so many times. He's been in front of a camera since he was a teenager. But I think with the kids, even before we met him, I'd read this idea that he stayed in touch with the kid inside himself, even as he's pushed this drive to excellence and greatness. There's a youthfulness and there's his ability to genuinely connect with the kids, not force it, not be uncomfortable. That's where I saw the change and that he's not going through answers that he's told different people at different times. No, that's that's where it's really genuine. And I don't know if you remember that. Oh, well, you haven't gotten to it, actually. But there's a scene uh, somewhere in the middle of the series uh, where he sits down with Vincent, who's obviously a, a real character, an original. And they discover that they both love horror films. And that conversation with this little kid, but who has has memorized almost every classic horror film, and him and LeBron going back and forth, and I never knew LeBron was into horror films, and, and you know was pretty well versed himself. That was an eye opener. That was just hysterical, and it just seemed so real. That was for me the moment I saw kind of what I would say is you know the real LeBron. I would agree, and even. Into the horror movie point, you know, even the fact that they can connect, that you could take such a small thing like that and connect on that level, and the fact that they both dressed up as Pennywise for Halloween <laughs> um, was, was also brought up. Uh, so, yeah, I think he his demeanor with the kids is real, and I think his passion and his he said it in in the press and and when the school was opening, but relating his story to their story and relating his struggles to their stories, I think resonated for everybody. When you walk into that school, you you can't help but have it resonate and and feel the power. I I mean, I think that's what I was reaching for is that he stayed in touch. He he remembers well uh, and has kept alive in, in his own soul and heart that what it was like for him before he became a sports sensation, you know, in high school and and then obviously in the pros. He remembers, you know, what it was like uh, as that kid that wasn't sure necessarily even where he was going to sleep and that missed 80 some days of school and that kids might have made fun of. In fact, that was interesting. It's not in the film, but when we discussed how he dealt with that and, and how he said that, you know, even though obviously he had strength, it, it was humor that, that that he discovered how humor could diffuse situations like that where kids make fun of you or try to bully. I, I think that is very, very much the, a valuable thing that he hasn't lost touch with that. 
and sees it in all these kids. So I'm watching this and I'm thinking to myself, wow, like LeBron James really like really trying to push and change the public school system. But what is it about an athlete that people gravitate towards? And especially when it comes to social issues or just issues in general, why do people lean up against athletes to solve problems instead of politicians? Why do you think that is? <laughs> well, just turn the TV on. <laughs> because politicians don't deliver. They lie right to your face and athletes got to prove it on the field. So whatever they say, you see it. And uh, when LeBron James promised to bring a championship back to Cleveland and he delivered, that counts in a way that politicians promise a lot of things, but they rarely deliver. But look, there are a lot of great athletes and a lot that have spoken out even politically, but I don't know of many that have kind of taken on this kind of challenge. I mean, because LeBron, you know, when he, he decided that building a school of some kind was kind of the, the next step in, in trying to make give something back to Akron, he was advised do it as a private academy because, like Andre Agassi and his wife have done, Steffi, uh, and others, uh, you can control it. You don't have to deal with the Akron Public School Board and the teachers union and things like that. And he said, no, I, I went to a, a public elementary school. So then he was advised, OK, let's make it a charter school because then we're not going to have as many rules. And, you know, we've got a little more leeway and control. And he said, no, I didn't go to a charter school. I went to a regular public elementary school. And that was a real challenge and, and continues to be one, you know, and that is really to his credit to basically say that, look, public education and all these kids that wouldn't necessarily get in a private academy or wouldn't necessarily even get in a charter school, they are represent tremendous human potential, creativity, and we're just throwing them away. And I'm going to show, or we're going to show, this school is going to show that they've got something to give back also. And if it can, if we can make it work, hopefully it can be scaled up and other communities can do it. Not every community obviously has LeBron James, but they do have successful businesses and, and, and philanthropists, et cetera. So I, I think he's somewhat unique in his not just speaking out as, as he started doing after the Trayvon Martin tragedy and, and, and some of the other, you know, uh, political issues, which is great, but to actually take on this kind of challenge, which in many ways might be the greatest of all his challenges to make a difference like this. It's pretty unusual. Yeah. In that same vein, you've worked with athletes in the past. How does working with LeBron uh, compared to that, and like, what were the challenges when dealing with, you know, such a, a I guess, a broad appealed superstar kind of like him? Well, I think the biggest challenge is it's dealing with the constant constellation that surrounds him more than, you know, actually dealing with him. <laughs> that is always, uh, you know, it's just scheduling, and, you know, the guy's got so many commitments and, uh, is being, you know, requested to go here, there, and everywhere. So once it's one-on-one -on -one or our team with him, I mean, it was very natural, down-to-earth, relaxed. It was great. But 
it's finding those moments, and uh, that's always the trick. And everybody, and, and, and it's, that's their job. But everybody's got an opinion. I know. Let's do it over here, or let's, you know, we should do that, or so. It, it's juggling all that when you're dealing with somebody of such a superstar caliber. I mean, I would just say that I think it's so unique that his team, which we did deal with the foundation, his, his production company, but his foundation really how sort of involved with the school they are. And I think that's unique. And I think the fact that he, obviously we did a formal sit down interview with him, but the fact that he would come to school when he was in town and that he would show up, I think it showed his commitment and that, that ran through to it's sort of like a morale boost, not only for the students, but the teachers, the faculty. When he would come and he came several times in the year and sort of the ups and downs of the series show the, the trajectory of the year that not, not all of it was enthusiastic. People were emotionally drained. The expectation of this test, the expectation of the school doing all the things that it said it, it was doing at its outset, those are, those are big goals. So, you know, the moment that he came just to see how the momentum would swing upon his visit. And sometimes in, in other ways too, how it would affect the kids. It was just unbelievable to, to see, but I think overwhelmingly it was, it was such a morale boost for, for the school when he came that you could see it reverberate throughout the kids and the staff. When he met with the teachers, a, a really uh, revealing moment where he uh, does come back and he meets with the teachers and he kind of draws a parallel between the challenges they're facing and the challenges he's facing on the Lakers as a new team, uh, as a team that yet hasn't really gelled and is not really up to the par yet of being even a playoff contender, and how he has kind of been wrestling with his own doubts. Did I make the right decision? And, and, and kind of using that as a way to open himself up and show them that even on the level of greatness that he is, what you've got to struggle through when you're in a new situation, when you're meeting new challenges and that doubts are ever present and that things take longer than you've always, than you would have imagined. And that, that was a very revealing moment. And it's funny. I, I, I think he got so lost in kind of opening up in that way when we were with him later at the end of the year, I talked to him a little about that. And he was like, Oh, you guys were here. <laughs> you came back. It wasn't fully aware that it was, you know, we thought it was a private moment, but, but we were there. Gotcha. Last question for me. What do you hope the audience takes away from this project? One, we hope the audience watches it. <laughs> That's number one. Two, look, we're in this weird time here, uh, obviously, uh, all of us kind of uh, grounded. And in a way, people are looking at a lot of uh, stuff. So in a time of darkness, we hope this can be uplifting and inspiring and that, that it's, it's almost an antidote to some of what we're all dealing with now, just the humanity of it and, and seeing the hope uh, of kids that have been written off and that could have well and, and could still well, you know, end up in a much more difficult places. So to see that at this moment, I think is important to give people hope to see that even kids that, that could have been throwaways and outcasts and at risk, you know, have tremendous potential. On the larger level, though, I would say, look, we're going through, obviously, the world's changing. And this whole idea of public good 
versus private gain. You know, in other words, that that for 40 years we've kind of seen the dismantling of of the public sector, the public service, public education, public health, public transportation. We've seen it cut back. We've seen it disrespected. We've seen it basically tossed aside and told the market is the answer to everything. And we're at a moment now where we (laughs) realize, geez, no, that's what a government's for. That's what public health is for. That's what public education's for. That's what public servants are for who are on the front line now in most of our communities. So, yeah, we hope that not only on the human level and relating to these kids and being moved by their stories, but on the larger level that it'll be used to re-engage people to think about how critical public education is, like public health, as we, we come out the other side of this thing, that that this is where it's all at. And the idea that we were a society moving away from it. I mean, just look at the head of the, the Department of Education in our country. I mean, give me a break. So if if it can help re-engage people and get them to start thinking again about how this is key to America in the 21st century. These are the human resources we've got and uh, and how to maximize them and give them the opportunity. That would be the biggest of all payoffs. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think to play off that, I think the way a community can come together, obviously Akron may have LeBron as a huge conduit and a huge force to bring this all together, but it's really the people behind the scenes and, and the teacher and the staff, the teachers and the staff. I mean, teachers are in many ways so undervalued in this country, like Mark was saying, but they have, they have the biggest responsibility of all, of raising the next generation and teaching them the values that will hopefully keep this society on track. So I think the value of a community coming together around education and that that can be done anywhere in this country and in any community and that it takes all the different people within the community coming together to, to make a difference. And I think that's what LeBron is doing in Akron. Well, that does it for this podcast. Huge thanks to Mark and Dan Levin for coming on to talk about the I Promise docuseries. And thank you for listening. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to Warming the Bench on iTunes and follow us on Spotify. You can also follow us on Twitter at Tilt Sports. That's T-Y-L-T Sports. And be on the lookout for other projects on the Tilt's YouTube channel. Oh, and if you want to watch the I Promise docuseries, download and stream it on Quibi, which is available for download on the Apple App Store and Google Play. This is Warming the Bench with Dane Tran, signing off.